Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. I'm pleased to announce that this is the second week in a row I have a guest from across the pond. Last week, I had Dr. Tony Collis on the show calling in from Scotland, and today I welcome David Chislett, who's from a small town called Zeiss in the central Netherlands. David is what he calls a creativity activator. And I will tell you, it definitely worked on me. I have always struggled with feeling like I'm not very creative. And it's been something I've always thought since I was a young child. I never could draw that well. Um, I danced, but I always had to follow the routine when I was little. And I never really have thought that I've been creative. Well, I will tell you, that David, being the creativity activator he is, completely made me rethink creativity after having the conversation that we had. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode because I will tell you it spurred so much thought and conversation between myself and my girls and my husband around what creativity is and how it shows up in our lives. David is also an international speaker and a poet. So I'm so glad he was on the show today. I actually think I might have needed this conversation maybe even more than you. I'm not quite sure, but I will tell you, I was so motivated and inspired by the conversation that we had. And I really want to get you to think about a couple of things as you're listening to the episode. David has a mantra, which is rebel, reject, and create. And he'll go into more detail, but I want you to think about something. Most of us are rule followers. And David brings up such an important point during the podcast. He talks about how rules just give us more of what we've already got. And that for us to really be creative, we need to break the rules. The other thing that I walked away from the conversation with David taking with me, and I hope you'll think about how you implement for yourself as well, is how are you going to give yourself more of the environment and the space and the brain space that you need to really invite more creativity into your life? So with that being said, let's jump into this amazing conversation with David Chislett. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. David, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Well, and you're uh, you're dialing in from a-, a ways away. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live, uh, who you are, and how you got started in this career? Sure. Okay. Well, let's start with where I am. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm chatting to you from a small town called Zeist, uh, which is in the middle of the Netherlands in the Utrecht province. Um, yeah, it's it, 
you know, how I got here is a bit of a long story. I, I've been in the Netherlands for about seven years. I, I grew up in South Africa, but I was born in Portsmouth in the south of England. And how did I end up being a creativity activator? Well, I started writing poetry when I was 10 years old. And I've been a voracious reader my entire life. And from the time I was 17, I started playing in bands. And from there, I just kind of disappeared into the music industry for a while as a as a bad bass player and then as a band manager and a promoter. And <laughs> I was a music journalist for a long time. Uh, and then eventually started my own PR company uh, specializing in music and entertainment clients. Um, I've worked in book publishing and online publishing. I've, you know, had a lot of <laughs> incarnations in various creative careers. Yeah. And then about three years ago, it kind of occurred to me that, A, I'd always been helping people out when it came to creativity, helping people with their creative careers. And B, if there's one thing that people in this world just don't seem to understand, it's creativity itself. And yeah. uh, I, I believe firmly in the power of creativity to change the world. So that also fits in with my sort of rebellious punk air streak um, to bring all of those things together to try and help people be more creative so they can actually change the world around them, you know, hopefully for the better, but certainly for the better for themselves. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So you... I know you say your title is a creativity activator. Can you talk to us about what that means and what that is and what you do? Sure. Everybody's creative. Most of us like to pretend that we're not because we can't paint, we can't dance, we're not actors, we're not poets. But that's a massive societal misunderstanding of what the word creativity means. Art is a product of creativity. Creativity is what you use every single time you use a butter knife to unscrew a screw. It's our ability to join dots where you don't necessarily see a logical connection. It's our ability to fantasize, project our thoughts and what we know about the present into the future, and then act on that to make it come true. So most of us, unfortunately, have been kind of socialized and educated out of being truly creative. You know, we've been... Uh, Old Henry Ford really did a number on us when he invented the uh, the factory assembly line. And unfortunately, most big companies still work that way. And our education system is very much trying to make us to be robots as opposed to free-thinking, creative spirits. And uh, I, I'm my mission in life is to run around lighting fires uh, under people to uh, to accept their inherent creativity, embrace it, and, and go mad. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. And I, and I have to tell you, I think maybe even more than my listeners, I think I need this conversation because <laughs> I, um, I would say I definitely fall into the trap of um, thinking I'm not a creative person. Uh, my husband's yeah. actually been challenging me with that lately, you know, about rethinking what creativity looks like. And so, right. yeah, so I'm curious to know, you know, what does, you, you talk about how we've been socialized kind of out of our creativity. And I love, I, I love the visual of, you know, uh, turning a screw with a butter knife because it's true. Like I wouldn't have thought of that as creativity. So what does creativity kind of in business and life mean to you? And how do you describe that to people? What it is, is, is literally this uncanny ability we have to join dots and quite often dots that don't really have any business being joined according to the rules. You know, and, and we've got so many examples of how this has happened before. I mean, honestly, really, a camera and a diary and a mini computer all bundled together into a phone? Who thought of that? That's nuts. <laughs> and yet, 
it's such an everyday reality that we don't even stop to consider that those things have no business being together. Someone thought of that. And, you know, so in business, what it is, it's the inclination to not stay doing things as we've always done them. Because all that means is that someone sooner or later is going to come up with a new way of doing things and, and you're going to be left in the dust. So in business, it's incredibly important to be creative because we constantly need to be evolving because the planet we live on is constantly evolving and the technology we have invented with our inherent creativity is constantly changing us and our society. So, you know, it's all around us. We're awash in it. In fact, maybe that's the problem. We're so awash in creativity that we've become almost kind of inured to it. We just don't even really notice what we're doing. Mm. So. And I, I love that because I, I think what you're saying is so true is, is you know, sometimes it's hard for us to notice where creativity shows up because like you said, I think for many of us, um, including myself, I've had the mindset, well, um, I actually used to be a dancer when I was younger, but for whatever reason, I didn't think that was creative because I was following a routine. It was structured. I wasn't doing a lot of free dance, but also, you know, I, I mean, I draw stick people. I literally can't draw. And so I've always had in my mind, like, well, I'm not creative. And so yeah. I guess kind of going back to that point of why do you think we're socialized to really not as a society acknowledge creativity or really acknowledge its presence in business? You know, why are we kind of almost like uh, squashing it in some ways. But here it is. I mean, it takes creativity, like you said, to develop the iPhone and to develop all these amazing things. Kind of where's the gap there and how can we fix that? Well, being creative is risky because you have to give up on what is known and you have to step into a space where things are not known. And, you know, when you're running a million-dollar business and you've got 40,000 employees scattered across the globe, stepping into the unknown is incredibly risky. And so, you know, that CEO certainly doesn't want the guy on the shop floor being all creative because, uh, you know, he's going to do something stupid. And that's the attitude, you know, it's about control. We can't, can't let everyone be creative because then we can't control them. And, you know, we can't measure what they're doing because, well, even for scientists and psychologists who've been studying psychology for decades, it's still really hard to say exactly how it works and and what's going on in people's head when it happens. And the conditions for it are kind of very different to the kinds of conditions your average micromanaging manager would like to have. So, you know, it's it's an inconvenient little detail, creativity. Um, and yet without it, we just, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. And I, I also really identify with what you're saying is what what I hear you saying is that Creativity is risky, and it's really coming from a place of fear, yeah. and, right? And so when business owners open themselves up to really honoring creativity, that is coming from a place of abundance. That's coming from a place of possibility into yeah. what is possible. And so how do you suggest business owners transition from being, you know, whether you're a leader in corporate whether you own your own business, what are some of your suggestions on helping people kind of bridge that gap between, you know, that everyone's looking to make money and make a profit and bring money into the business and they don't want 
I, I think there's this image of like, oh, these creative types are just going to be sitting, you know, staring into space and not yeah. being productive. So how do you kind of bridge that gap for people? Well, I mean, at the moment, it's actually quite easy. You just point at what's happening. You put, just point to what's happening right now, you know. The ability for people to work from home and to work remotely has been available to us for, you know, 15 years or so. And yet major companies have just refused to go there. And now we sit during a global pandemic and suddenly everyone's working from home. And hey, it seems to be going pretty well. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, this, it's this desire to control uh, and, and this belief that people cannot be trusted. Mm. And, you know, if you want someone to do something untrustworthy, tell them you don't trust them. So as far as advice to business leaders goes, it's really important to understand that creativity is, is not a simple thing. I, I actually have started to refer it to, to it as a, as a quantum property because it's just so, so nuts. But in the 60s, a psychologist, American psychologist called Mel Rhodes came up with what he called the 4P framework to describe creativity because it's just such a slippery fish. And the 4P stand for people, products, processes, and the press. And by press, he means the environment. Now, the bottom line is, is you can't expect your, your staff or your employees to be creative and to be innovative um, if they're not creative people. So you need to be thinking about skilling them up so they can actually be creative. And earlier on, when you said about being a dancer, you felt like, oh, you know, I wasn't being very creative. Well, it's probably because you hadn't acquired enough skills yet to get to that level of self-expression where you know, that whole sort of personal story would have come through the technique. And creativity is like that. You know, I think one of the reasons why we get so confused about creativity is that anyone who we really admire as creative is highly, highly skilled. And so we, we tend to focus on the skills instead of the capacity. Mm. Creativity is the sausage machine. It's the thing. But it depends what skills you put in the one end. And that you put it through the creative machine and then you get a product related to that skill out the other side. Sure. So that's the creative people. Obviously, processes is how we do things. You know, all too often we just stick to doing things exactly the same way because that's the way it's always been done, and that way it can be measured, and that way we know we're going to make a profit, right? So if you want to be innovative, you can't just be thinking about, oh, we need to hire the most creative people. You also need to think about changing the way you do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the one P that's probably the most self-explanatory is the product one. You know, what's the creative product? And obviously, that can change all the time. You know, there's new models of cars and phones coming out just about every second month. What's the really interesting P, though, is the press or the environment, because that literally encompasses who you surround yourself with, uh, where you sit, what you're looking at, how comfortable you are. Um, like what's the vibe around you? Are you relaxed? Is there good music? Are you warm? Are you comfortable? Because to be creative, it is risky. So you need to be in a safe place because you need to step into a place that is ambiguous and complex and there is no clear path because you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. And so if your environment isn't set up to hold that space and not to shut you down with judgment and negativity, you know, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of companies just fail abysmally at because everyone's, you know, performing to their KPIs and their KPAs and they've got their annual review and they're on the nine bar chart and they're, you know, and it's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's almost custom designed to destroy creativity. Mm. Yeah. 
and and I'm I'm sitting here as you're saying that I'm looking at your logo. You know, when you talk about destroying, you know, your logo reminds me of obviously weapons of mass destruction. And, yes. you know, I love your logo, which is weapons of mass creation. Yeah. It's so powerful. So can you share with us a little bit about your logo and kind of how you how that came to be? Well, it, it's it's all Maxi Jazz's fault. Uh, there's a there's a song by Faithless called "I Am a Weapon of Mass Destruction." <laughs> yes. And I was listening to that one day, and I thought, yeah, I, I grew up in alternative rock and roll, so a lot of that stuff's quite negative, actually. You know, it's very angry and it's anti-establishment, and and as a result, the expression of a lot of the sentiments are pretty negative. And that song in particular by Faithless, "I Am a Weapon of Mass Destruction," is. I don't know. It's just something that I got a little bit tired of after 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 decades involved with the sort of underground music scenes, and it suddenly struck me that actually, if I'm right, and I'm pretty sure I am, that we're all inherently creative. The opposite is true. We are weapons of mass creation, mm. and, and maybe that's what everyone's so scared about. You know, that if that once you turn the machine on, we're not quite sure what's going to happen next, and who knows what the world might end up looking like. You know, human beings are bizarre fickle animals you know we love we love the familiar we love our patterns we're, we're terrified of change and yet we can't help ourselves but we're always fiddling with stuff <laughs> you know, no it's, it's it's massively contradictory no it's so true and and i i want to kind of dive into this thing that you're talking about because uh you mentioned it a little earlier and and just again you know we have this feeling that People are naturally creative. Yeah. And you talked about the process of being creative, that, you know, kind of going into that sausage machine, right? That the the output of a dance recital or an art exhibit or the iPhone, right? I mean, those are all outputs of creativity. Yeah. And I guess I go back to, and this is me kind of playing devil's advocate, but also asking a question because I I feel like I feel like this too. Are certain people just born more creative than others? Or is what I hear you saying is that creativity is something that is a skill that you can work at to be better at? I, I actually don't refer to creativity as a skill anymore because I believe it is, in fact, a capacity. In fact, I, I have come to believe that creativity is an actual fact, part of what allows our consciousness to function in the way that it is, and it is an underpinning part of our intelligence. Mm. So everyone's creative. But, you know, some people have IQs of 165 and some people have IQs of 120. Um, so I, I guess it goes, it stands to reason that not, not everyone's inherently as creative as the next person. Sure. But the important thing here is that, you know, if you practice anything with a focus on improving, you will get better. Just keep on showing up and keep on trying and keep on focusing on improving and you will get better. You know, I mean, you know, of course, everyone's read Gladwell's book, Outliers, right. the 10,000 hours of mastery. Right. And yeah, great. You know, but if, I mean, if you spend 10,000 hours doing the same thing over and over and over again and not trying to improve it, you're not going to turn into a master. So the focus on improvement is incredibly important. You, know, you have to have a growth mindset rather than just a boring, repetitious one. But yeah, you know, it's no coincidence that people who we consider to be highly creative have been busy being creative for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And it's not unusual if you encounter someone who is, you know, for example, artistically inclined, 
uh, and uh, maybe they're a great painter. And then you later you find out, wow, you know, they're actually they're a pretty mean poet too. And, and in their spare time, they play guitar. You know, you, you you speak to these incredibly smart tech guys who are inventing new code and apps and stuff all the time, and like ninety five percent of them are heavy metal guitarists. You know, it's it's it just spills out all over the shop once you open the tap, and you've just got to keep on showing up and keep on showing up and and try to do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you're saying too, about kind of opening that tap up because I feel like so many of us are socialized because schools, like you, you mentioned in the very beginning, you know, we're not necessarily, you know, art is the first thing to go if budgets get reduced. Um, it's kind of that free time that you have. It's not a scheduled subject in school a lot of times. And there's just not a lot of emphasis on it. And it's so interesting. I think there needs to be so much more of it. So we're kind of socialized that it's kind of a nice to have. Yes. It's not not necessary. Not really. I mean, if you got an A in art, it's not the same as getting an A in math or English, right? I mean, so... We've given kids since the time they were young a prioritization of what we as a society think is important and what's not right. important. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've evolved into a binary society where it's either always yes, no, black, white, right, wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you've ever done any investigation into journalism or psychology, you'll know that any question you know, it, those are called closed questions. When you can only give a yes or no answer, those are called closed questions for a get very good reason because you never get to the story. It's either for confirmation or denial. And, and if you just look at our, the capacity of our brains, I mean, that's just, that's just nuts. You know, we are not binary beings. The world is, in fact, you know, a multi-spectrum gray. It's not black or white. There is no yes or no or right or wrong 95% of the time because we never have all the information. And depending on where you were standing on when that accident happened, it either looks like that car was speeding or it was not. Doesn't mean to say the guy who said it was speeding was lying, that he was wrong, you know, that he wasn't being nasty. It's just that we don't have enough information. And that's what's so crucial about creativity because it admits to a complex universe where there's a lot going on, where it can't just be black or white. And I think that's also, frankly, on a psychological level, a bit intimidating. Sure. You know, there's not much certainty when you live in a world like that. So, David, I would love for you to share your mantra, and I would love to dig in and find out more about it. All right. It's, uh, it goes like this. Rebel, reject, create. And everyone always says, oh, that sounds terribly violent and negative <laughs> and antisocial and what have you. And I'm like, well, no, no, it goes like this. Rebel against your own assumptions, your own training, everything that you think, because even that can be wrong. Reject the status quo and what everyone else is saying to you and create your own options. I love it. Okay, can we? How, how did you come up with it? Let's dive into it because I think there's so much to unpack here. There was a movie in the 80s, I think, called Them, which was all about these aliens had taken over the world and like everyone was actually a bunch of zombies. So you could only see that if you had a pair of magic glasses on. Um, and, and, and they were always broadcasting the subliminal message, which was obey, conform, consume. And in the 90s, I had a T-shirt that said obey, conform, consume. And again, this is just another one of these very simple inversions, actually. Um, whilst casting about for a new T-shirt, because you know that, 
that one didn't outlive the nineties. <laughs> I um again I thought to myself, you know, I mean I, I always loved that obey conform consume because it was so cynical. You know, it was so like, oh this is this is wrong, this is bad, this is, uh. and I thought what would be the opposite of that? So rebel, reject, create. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So talk how do we implement that in either, you know, in both our business lives and our home lives? How do we do more of that? What's the process? Well, I think, you know, this this whole idea of being in a safe space is incredibly important. You know, it, you can't just run about changing stuff all over the shop if people don't trust you or if they don't um if they're not on board in 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 some way. And um you know, I'm sure we're all aware of things like confirmation bias and all of our inherent kind of quite well-hidden biases that we don't even not even aware of ourselves. And that's why the rebel one is so important. You know, you can't just assume that what you're thinking or what you learned is 100% correct or going to be totally useful to you. And so it's a really good idea to step away from the car, <laughs> you know, and to just say, okay, what if that isn't true? What if something else is going on? And then follow that train of thought until it gets where it's going. Not until it gets to a station that you like the look of and then you jump off. Follow it until where it's going. And, you know, in your normal life, I mean, that can apply to an awful lot of things, you know, because, of course, the train of thought will always go past all the responsible, normal kinds of things that we're encouraged to believe in. Um, at which state most of us go, yeah, okay, great, that's the affirmation I need, and we jump off the train, and we don't, we don't let it run, because we're really invested in those things. They're part of who we believe we are, and it's part of who we tell other people we are. And to think further than that is to threaten our very sense of identity. Mm. You know, there's a good reason why a lot of people find creatives to be a little bit nuts. It's because you know they're prepared to question their own identity by engaging in a, in a train of thought that may contradict what they actually think about the world. Yeah, and they're they're willing to go against the norm. Right. You know, mm -hmm. just for the hell of it because it's interesting. Yeah. And you know, it does it takes a it takes a degree of bravery in the beginning, but once you've done it a few times you begin to realize in actual fact, you know, you didn't die. The world didn't end. And um maybe you discovered something interesting that you didn't know. You didn't know. And, you know, that's where the gold is. When you start discovering stuff that you didn't know, you didn't know, then you can really do something about changing your situation and your life. And I think that applies to both work and to home. I think particularly in the work environment, we, we tend to exist in these little silos where we're busy doing our tasks with very little awareness of how they connect to everything else that's going on around us. And that's demotivating and stultifying and boring. And the idea is that you shouldn't think about the other stuff because we don't want you to be distracted. So you can be a good little widget and just do your job. But, you know, tests and, and, and research is approved again and again and again and again. If you involve people through the value chain, they work better. They're more motivated. They buy into the story and they will suddenly start coming up with all sorts of great improvements that you as the owner or the manager just had never thought about. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a thing amongst entrepreneurs called founder's syndrome, where the person who started who started the company eventually actually basically has to step down out of operations because the business has grown 
to such an extent that their tendency to want to control absolutely everything because it's their baby <laughs> is actually getting in the way. Right. And they need to go and toddle off into the lab or or into you know some kind of totally different role and appoint a managing director to actually do the business. And I mean, that's that's great, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you love to do that? Why would you want to stay in control of the whole thing? Why why wouldn't you want to see where that train's going? Yeah. Well, and also it gives the entrepreneur time to go reinvent something else. And, you know, that's right. that's where their core competency is. That's where their core strength is, is being the inventor, being the idea person, being the visionary. And yep. once it gets to that point of operations, you know, that might not be exciting to them. It may be overwhelming. Yeah. You know, I think overwhelm can oftentimes be a symptom or a sign that you're not working on what your core genius is. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think for that entrepreneur getting overwhelmed, it's just like, yeah, it's time to step aside. It's time to go reinvent. It's time to go be creative again and get into flow. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Love that. And, you know, you can't get into flow if you're just, if you're following the rules. Yeah, let's yeah. just say that one more time. You can't get into flow if you're following the rules. The rules. And it's just so interesting because I know a lot of my listeners, mostly women, are very big rule followers. So we're taught to be yep. we're taught to be good girls. We're taught to follow the rules. Um, boys yep. are given, you know, boys and men are given a little bit more leeway to break the yep. rules. Um, so what do you say to my female listener? who is a rule follower, who says, okay, David, I hear what you're saying, this rebel, reject, and create, and it feels yeah. so against my grain. Yeah. What do you have to say? Rules give you more of what you already have. Mm. That's all. What? Okay, can you Th share That's what they're designed bit? to do, right? Yeah. So, you know, don't climb the power pylon because you'll be electrocuted. So that rule gives you more of what you've got. It keeps you alive. It doesn't improve your life, doesn't give you any other interesting insights. All it does is maintain your life. Okay, so that's that's a, a, a random safety rule. But the rules at work and the, and the rules of social conduct and so are exactly that. They are designed to enforce predictability and conformity so that there is no variance, so that nothing changes. Because, you know, widgets are so much easier to manage than human beings. So when you're really busy following the rules, what you're essentially doing is denying yourself opportunities to do interesting stuff. And yeah, it's true. Uh, as a woman, you are under undue pressure to conform to God knows how many rules about your appearance, uh, about your behavior, about your decorum, that and then the consequences for not following the rules are, 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 are pernicious and hideous. And the women who do break them are vilified uh, and, and, you know, have a really rough time of it. But what happens if everybody did that? Mm. What happens yeah. if that just became normal? You know, if, if it suddenly wasn't a crime to be, you know, really hot and not give a shit and wander around in a bikini all day instead of being judged as a bimbo or whatever, or, 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 or the opposite, you know? I mean, it, you know, our society uses, you know, controls women. That's what it's for. That's what those rules are for. It's control. You know, got to keep control of you guys because 
yeah, happy, yeah, because you know, we want to, we want to have more, we want to have more of us. And uh, there's always the chance that we don't control you guys might actually go and do something else. Yeah, I know. And that's exactly why I have you on this podcast <laughs> because I, I feel that women can be weapons of mass creation. And the whole reason why I am dedicating my time to this podcast, my time to coaching women is because I, what I'm taking from what you're saying is that if we continue to follow the rules, we don't change. Correct. And so much of that is in our heads. So I agree with you that there are ramifications. I would say that that those are the outliers. Those are for the extreme cases of women being real big rebels and really having to face the consequences. But I think that in our minds, our playing field is so narrow. I think we have a lot more room to be creative, to to be rebellious, to ask more, to do more, to be more. And so much of it is these the constraints that are between our ears. It's really in our own minds. Well, if I'm right, and we really are weapons of mass creation, we can't actually help it. All constraints are between our ears. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's It's, and and this is where the stuff starts to get a little sort of flaky. You know, when I say things like that, it makes me sound like I'm I'm an advocate of the secret. Um, and, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not, but think about it like this. You form an ambition that you want to become, I don't know, a doctor. And you figure out that in order to become a doctor, you've got to finish an undergrad degree, then you've got to qualify for med school and, and, you know, and you, and you play this entire fantasy out in your mind and you plot every single step, but it's none of it's real. But then the next day you go and enroll for grad school. And before you know it, you've created a new version of yourself as a doctor seven years later. That principle should apply to just about anything you can care to think about. It may take you longer to get there than the next person because maybe you're not actually that bright or maybe you're poor and you can't study full time. But we can conceive of all these realities. Why should it not be true that we can act on them? When we know we can, we see people doing it all the time. But there's always a story, right? There's always a but. So one of the things I like to say to people is, you're not allowed to say but anymore. Hey, I've got a great idea. Let's get crazy and go and faint our faces and hang out in the mall and we'll collect money for charity. Yeah, but, you know, no. Yes, and. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're sitting in a meeting and someone's coming up with an idea, instead of saying, yeah, but management will never pass that or finance doesn't, uh, say yes, and. But stops conversations and encourages the story to continue. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. And what are what are the five reasons that we should break the rules? And what are the and how do we do that? What are those five reasons? Because I know we t- we talked about that yeah. beforehand. Five reasons. I don't know. I could probably think about two thousand. Um, <laughs> we need to break the rules because the rules are boring, and they're trying to make things predictable and safe. And our world is changing too fast for that. Um, you know, regardless of what you might think about almost anything else, the one thing that we all have to admit is that, wow, technology is really changing our world super fast. And 
you know, it's, 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 it's changing so fast that by the, time, by the time you've finished a technical degree or a diploma, what you studied in the first two years is already out of date. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to carry on following that rule book, you can be living in the past in the most tragic and, and unfortunate way. So it's really important that you're able to, 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 to break the mold and strike out on your own, you know, because there are actually no rules at the moment. I mean, I mean, you just have to look at global politics to see that, you know, in its, in its worst manifestation. Um, but the same is true for us. And when you break the rules, when you find your own truth, when you connect to purpose, then you find meaning. And then whatever setbacks you experience, you're able to stand up the next day and say, well, I know why I'm doing this. So I can get up and I can try again. But when you go to your meaningless job and you're busy moving one widget from one side of the room to the other all day and something goes badly wrong, it's really hard to stand up the next day because you don't know why you're doing it and you don't really care and it's killing you. So you don't. And so you get stuck. So breaking the rules is crucial if you want to be a forward-looking and thinking person and if you want to have, hope to have any impact in this world it's really important that you break the rules. Now, you know, you don't have to break all the rules. I mean, you know, God, you know I'm, not, I'm not inciting <laughs> you to run around stabbing and murdering and robbing people. But so many of these rules are just absolutely pointless. They're just there to put, keep us in our place. I mean, really, screw that. I agree. Sorry, that's that's not five reasons. It's a very long one reason, I think. No, I love it. I, I love what you're saying. And... You brought up an important point, and I would like to hear your perspective because you t- you talked about how creativity, when you you know really connects to your your meaning to your purpose, and you when you're really consciously thinking about why am I doing this and what is my purpose, and that does give meaning. So, how do you connect understanding creativity to the end result being happiness? Because I definitely think that there is a a tie yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I've also got a, a silly little slogan that I came up with, which says freedom equals creativity times the sum of choices and options. When we have genuine choices and we're able to make our own options, we have to exercise creativity. And doing that sets us free. And that makes us happy. You know there's nothing worse than feeling like you have no options and that you're being controlled in some mysterious way or other. You know, there's a huge myth out there, and it's a really unfortunate one, that that creative people are, you know, borderline nut jobs um, a lot of the time. Because, you know, if if you look in, in popular culture, there's an awful lot of artists and musicians who've killed themselves and who are clearly battling with depression. But one of the emerging theories is, is an actual fact, if that person had not had a creative outlet, they would have killed themselves far earlier. Mm. And that creativity was actually acting in a way to help them make sense of their world and to try and come out of the dark place and to find somewhere where they could be happy. Mm. And it doesn't always work. But this notion that creativity is somehow allied to insanity is just another one of the lies, I'm afraid. It's not. When you get lost and you have to find your way home, you have to make it all up and navigate by the stars, you're being creative. When you're interviewing a 
podcast guest and he's rambling all over the show and you suddenly have to think up a new question, you're being creative. You know, when your kids are ruckusing around the house and they've broken everything and you have to be on the other side of town in 10 minutes, you're going to get creative. It's what we do. It's, you know, creativity doesn't help us solve problems. It's how we solve problems. We join the dots. We grab every single dot we've got our, our hands on and we try and assemble it in a way which is going to solve the problem that's in front of us right now. And that's why, you know, highly skilled people are often seen as really creative because they've got a lot of dots, a hell of a lot of dots. So they come up with stuff that we just couldn't because we don't know as much as them. So if you want to be more creative, get more dots. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely, I love it. I love everything you're sharing with us. I also, I have one, a couple last questions before we end our time together today. One of them is, I know this has been true for myself and I only recently realized this. So I came from a job where I was 27 years in corporate America. I was on planes, trains, and automobiles all the time. I was always busy. Um, I always relished my time in hotel rooms when, you know, I, obviously I missed my family, but it was my quiet time. It was my time yeah. to just kind of veg out and, you know, listen to music. I love music. And so my daughter and I, that's a whole other podcast episode, but my, my daughter and I were really big into music together. And I would always use time on the airplane to listen to my music because I was so busy during the week. I didn't get a chance to do that. And I always found in the midst of that chaos, I always found opportunities to use that space for creative time. I just didn't have a lot of it. Because I, I, like I said, I was on this hamster wheel. Fast forward to now me being an entrepreneur, you know, I was in so many ways. Yes, I had to be creative in my role to be successful. I had to come up with creative solutions. I had to come up with creative sales opportunities and sales options for my customers. And I really recognized that. But being an entrepreneur, I've really had to put my creativity hat on um, to do marketing and to bring this podcast to life. And to and I've really had to kind of, you know, build that muscle that I felt wasn't super built in my corporate life. And what I have found is where I never really thought I had bouts of creativity before. Now I'm finding it in the empty space. So I'll find it when I'm in the shower. Yeah. I'll find it when I'm going to bed at night. Yep. I'll, I'll, I have, I've actually started keeping a notepad by my bed where literally right when I lay down, I'll get all these podcasts, yep. um, topics. I'll all of a sudden, you know, start getting all this creativity flow coming to me and I'll write it down. But what I've now, what I've intentionally started doing is creating space to give myself that space to be creative because I never did that before. It was never a practice yeah. of mine. And so, what, yeah, what are your thoughts about that? Because I think so many of my listeners are just busy on the hamster wheel like yeah. I was. And, and I think that's part of where our creativity gets sucked out of us. It's exactly where our creativity gets sucked out of us because the brain science on this is entirely clear. In order to be creative, on a brain state level, you need to meet four conditions. You need to have quiet, mental quiet, not silence, but like your brain can't be rushing around at 100 miles an hour trying to solve 400 problems, right? So you need mental quiet. You need to be slightly inward looking. In other words, not thinking about the deadline, what the client's going to think, what have you, but just busy with your own stuff. You also have to be slightly happy. So commuting hamster wheel, no. 
And then the last one, and this is the real kicker, you can't try too hard. Mm. And this is why we have our ideas when we're walking the dog, when we're standing at the coffee machine, when we're having a shower. Because these actions are essentially automated. You've showered a lot in your life. I'd imagine you're pretty sure where the soap needs to go and what your hands need to do. And you're not really thinking about it. It's warm water, so you're really comfortable, so you're pretty happy. You're not really thinking about anything because you're just enjoying yourself. And you're certainly not trying too hard because, you know, you've showered a few times before. And then all of a sudden, kaplinky-plonky-boom idea. And it will happen again and again and again. So, yes, from a scientific point of view, Natalie, what you're doing is spot on. And this is what I say to people. You have to make space. Yeah. You have to hold an hour. I mean, you can build up to it an hour, but you have to hold time where you're not really doing anything except contemplating your navel a little bit. You know? <laughs> Doing the washing up, doing the ironing, walking the dog. For me, going for a run's a big one. Maybe it's because mm -hmm. I can't write anything down when I'm running as well. It makes me nuts. But anyway, you know, where you're basically doing super automated behavior, where your conscious mind isn't busy with what you're doing. So it kind of toddles off to sleep a little bit. And then your unconscious mind's like, hey, that monkey's out of the way. Look what I've been busy with uh, while you've been sleeping. And those states between wake and sleep are incredibly productive for those kinds of things. Yeah. Because your unconscious mind doesn't have any rational, logical rules governing it like your conscious mind does. So it smashes all sorts of crazy stuff together that you would never do when you were actually fully conscious. I think it was Salvador Dali who used to do this trick where he would sit on his armchair holding a really heavy bunch of keys. And then as he would doze off, his muscles would relax and the keys would fall on the floor and wake him up. And he would be like, and then he would remember the sort of crazy ass visions he was having at the time. And, and a lot of his paintings were, that's how he came up with inspiration. Try this mind experiment. What problem are you trying to solve at the moment? Like, you know, something with your business, you need a new strategy, new products not quite working, people aren't responding the way that you want. You're like, okay, I need to solve this problem. Formulate it into a very clear question and repeat the question a good few times just before you go to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, write down everything that you think about straight up. Repeat. And I guarantee you, the answer will surface because our unconscious mind is vast and has access to far more information than our conscious mind. You know, there's a great book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And, you know, our fast snap decisions are based on patterns. Basically, it's our brain following a bunch of rules. If you really want to come up with something creative, you need to go long and slow. And that's the unconscious mind. So you've got to feed it with intention, with questions, with, with demands. But then you've got to create the space for it to come out. And if you're constantly on your phone, constantly running to appointments, constantly improving yourself, constantly showing off to the neighbors, constantly trying to be a better person, you're not going to hear it. Because the aha moment fires off a couple of hundred neurons in your brain. And you just deciding you're going to reach for another double espresso coffee fires off several tens of thousands. You literally won't hear it if you're too busy. So you got to chill. 
okay. I, I was, I'm sitting here totally mesmerized by what you're saying because, like I said, I think I needed this conversation just as much as my audience did. Um, I, I, I literally am, I'm just so in awe because you're right. It, it's we distract ourselves with busyness because we think that that is going to solve all of our problems. And what I really hear you saying, David, is we really need to chill. We need to slow down. We need to give ourselves some intentional space to really embrace this creative process and yep. to allow ourselves to think, you know, this is going to come up with bigger and better ideas than we could have in our conscious state. And what I also hear you saying is that time right before you go to sleep, those times during those kind of automated things that we do during our day where our mind kind of drifts off. And I also hear you saying something that I've heard so many times before. I'm not always great at practicing it, but I'm actually going to make an intentional effort to do it after this podcast because of everything you've shared is really having a morning intention. Like, you know, we wake up in the morning, we grab our phone and all of a sudden we're busy with everyone else's information. Yeah. Right. And really just laying in bed and using that time to either reflect on the question that I've posed that night before about how to solve something or looking for some, you know, creative process in my business. And just also giving myself that time to make that intention for my day. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll I'll be quite honest with you. This whole COVID pandemic has, you know, pretty much obliterated my business. And um I kind of just took three months off because I could, which I'm fortunate to be able to do. And it wasn't until about two weeks ago that like all of a sudden the puzzle pieces kind of assembled themselves in a new form and I have a new plan and I had a whole new bunch of products and ideas and I'm, I'm, I'm up and running again. If I had just carried on on the hamster wheel going as hard and as fast as I had could, I would not have gotten to this new place where I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of really nice, interesting new stuff. I would have, I would have pushed all of those thoughts back into the recesses of my brain with my urgent desire to keep busy. And that's what we're denying ourselves. You know, we're denying ourselves about 80% of our brain capacity by being too damn busy. And that's the problem with this, this, with this screen culture not adult ADD or whatever. It's it's actually that like, it's making us very uni-focused and very outwardly focused instead of inwardly focused. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure by now everyone's seen these documentaries about how the algorithm on social media works. Yep. I mean, honestly, you're not learning anything new on social media. It's just showing you what you already know. That's how they make money. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with screen culture right now. You know, you're not acquiring new dots on Facebook, trust me. <laughs> So mm-hmm. don't wake up and pick up your phone. Yeah, I, it's so true. If anyone hasn't seen The Social Dilemma, everyone should watch yeah, it because you should. And I, what I what is so important about what you're saying is, you know, we're not getting any new dots. And you talk about connecting the dots and yep. how this is part of the creative process. We're really um, just just smashing that whole process. You know, by engaging in social media, especially first thing in the morning. So you talked about your business. I think it's a great way Mm -hmm. for us to kind of transition and uh, close out our time together. So talk to us about what you're up to. I know uh, you have the Playful Creative Summit. And so talk to us about that and how people can learn more about you. Yeah. 
Well, the easiest way to learn more about me is to go and visit my site, which is davidchislett.com. Um, and I'll have summit, it, in the, not to interrupt you, I'll have it in the show notes, by the way. So I'll have all, all right, this cool. information in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. But the, the, the big thing that I'm really focused on at the moment is, is the Playful Creative Summit. And we did the first one on the 1st of April this year, just after lockdown in Europe had started. And what the Playful Creative Summit is all about is about bringing professionals in the environments of play and creativity, which, good Lord, it includes a lot of different people, like people who write games, you know, like you know, video games, but people right. who are using gamification in business and Lego serious play and all of this kind of stuff. And we had 45 speakers over three days. Uh, sharing their toolbox, like what they do, how they do it, why they think it's important, and what you can do to to uh, become more playful and more creative. And so we're busy building up to the next one, which will take place uh, from the 21st of April in 2021. And uh, it's free. That's the best part about it. Um, so if you want to see more about the summit, we haven't updated the site just yet because uh, – Everyone who bought the all access part last year is still watching all of the videos. So we can't quite trash it just yet, but it will be opening registrations. I think uh, on the 1st of January for the new summit, but as a build up to that, we're organizing playful creative pop-up events where we're inviting some of the speakers from this year's summit back to do like super interactive um, hands-on. I don't know what you call them webinar kind of workshoppy things. And the next one's on the 4th of November. And it's basically the first Wednesday of every month um, from, from now while we're speaking until April next year. Okay. So I will have all the information for that in the show notes. I love that this is something that people can tap into. They can learn more about how to be creative, how to, um, put that into play in their lives and their work. And yeah. David, this has been such a powerful conversation for me. I've taken so much from our time together today. I'm so grateful that you were on the show. And do you have any last thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to leave my listeners with? Sure. Last thoughts and words of wisdom. Well, it's t- there's two things that, that, I, that I like to say is, number one is, what's the worst that can happen? You're not going to die. And the second thing is just to remind everyone to always ask yourself, what if? What if I can? What if I'm not useless? What if I wasn't broke? What would I do then? It's a very, very, very powerful question for getting yourself unblocked and for revealing what the blockages are. And once you know what they are, quite often there's something you can actually do about it. So... Yeah. Don't be scared. Rebel, reject, and create. I love it. And you know what? It just really brings home the fact that we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. So, David, thank you for being here today. Again, I've really appreciated our time together. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Take care. Have a good evening. Ciao. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? 
It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.